The government might have the right to suspend and even debar contractors for three years, but contractors can and do sue when it happens. One recent case showed the dangers in suing the government and why contractors need to pay attention to the concept known as responsibility. Here in studio with expert insight into this case, Diz Locaria, a partner at Venable. Mr. Locaria, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. Nice to see you today. Tell us about this case. It looks like a small business and the Defense Logistics Agency. Right. So in this situation, you had a a small business that had a couple different issues um, percolating with DLA, but DLA took, you know, pretty aggressive action pretty quickly here um, by first suspending the company and then ultimately uh, moving to debarment, um, which was, you know, in many circles, we consider that the corporate death penalty. And what was the cause of the suspension? Um, Well, it really related to a couple issues, but one related to an interpretation on export control rules, which, you know, any any of your listeners know it's a very complicated field, um, and it's not an area where you know black and it's it's just not black and white. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of interpretation um, and a lot of reasonable interpretation. And reasonable minds can differ. And um, when you find someone in violation of an export, does it mean that you're not a responsible company because you took efforts to try to interpret something and maybe got it wrong? In other words, this company sold to export markets a technology that the DLA felt should have been under export control. And that was the source of the disagreement? Correct. Correct. And so they found them, therefore, not responsible any longer? Well, they said they felt that they were in noncompliance. And whenever you're in noncompliance with the federal regulation or a contract rule, um, a lot of times the government may take a very aggressive position and say you're a not non-responsible or not presently responsible company. Um, and suspension debarment is always kind of in the background as a potential um, repercussion. So you could have been responsible at the time of award, but in the government's eyes, you go astray, and then you are presently non-responsible. Right. So responsibility determinations can be made at any time. They're always made um, right before an award is made under 9.1 of the FAR. But then um, a, a suspension and debarring official can always make a decision at a later date that a company is not presently responsible, and that would impact their ability to get new awards. And it might seem like a small thing, but you mentioned that they were made, they were uh, suspended for violating a rule or regulation. In this case, it sounded like, though, they violated a law because aren't export controls embedded in law? They are, but but also it wasn't even definitive whether they violated anything yet, Got right? It. Um, it was an allegation of a violation, um, that, and that the action was taken based on that. And so company is suspended, and then what? So once you're suspended, you are immediately deemed ineligible to receive new awards. So you cannot receive any new contracts. Um, and you can continue performing existing contracts, but if you have kind of large IDIQ, GSA schedule-type contracts, you can't get new task orders or anything. Sure. By the way, this company is called JBL Systems Solutions, and it's a small family-owned type of operation. So they, in turn, sued the government, sued the DLA, because of the suspension? Correct. So they then took an action to sue DLA that the suspension was not appropriate, um, arbitrary and capricious, um, and was not, was not, uh, did not have a sufficient basis. And in return... The DLA then proposed them for debarment, which is an even greater step. The impact's still the same, but it's still a greater step by the by the DLA. It has the feel of whistleblower retaliation in a way. It's not a whistleblower situation, but the fact that they took the company took what it thought was its legal right and then was retaliated against basically by DLA. Right. I mean, that's the thing that that really alarms me is that here you have a company that legitimately is challenging a suspension, which we have every right under the regulations to do. Um, 
So you're legitimately challenging. And in response to that, the agency actually takes a greater action, not really on on the basis of any new facts or, or information, but seemingly based upon the simple fact that you're challenging their authority. And that that is a very scary proposition. We're speaking with Diz Locaria, a partner with Venable. And does disbarment always come after suspension? Can it come first? And can the two be unrelated? Um, they can come different times. Um, they require different levels of uh, evidence in order to impact. So a suspension requires two different things. It requires what's called adequate evidence and an immediate need. A proposed debarment requires that you have a preponderance of evidence, um, but you don't have that immediate need prong. And so you use, typically use suspensions in a different context than a debarment, but what typically happens is a suspension will take place and then they'll move into debarment. Because a suspension is for a temporary period, whereas debarment can be for a much longer period. But to do debarment, you have to go through proposed debarment first. But if you are found, say, to be at the moment or temporarily non-responsible and therefore you are suspended, you could fix that situation and the suspension could be lifted and everybody goes merrily on. Correct. I mean, and, yeah, exactly. You, you always move to get the company reinstated to contracting eligibility. All right. So what happened then? They were debarred, and that's a three-year deal when you're debarred. Right, right. So they were proposed for debarment. It was challenged. And interestingly enough— Challenged in Challenged court. in court. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the judge um, found that the case was uh, ripe for review because a lot of times um, we found that judges will find because you're in a proposed debarment setting, it's not actually ripe for review because administrative remedies haven't been exhausted. Um, so the, the judge did find that, which was, was positive, but found that the agency had an adequate basis, and therefore the proposed debarment has, has withstood scrutiny, and the process is working on now between the company and the agency. So they have to then go back and resolve if, in fact, this company, JBL, did violate export control rules. Right. So now the agency and the company are trying to probably negotiate either some kind of settlement or work out the facts and circumstances and, and have this matter resolved. Could that be potentially something that would have to be resolved by a court? Or is there some kind of arbitration process available for that? Uh, it really would, would be another judicial review if the companies can't come to some kind of agreement or the agency and the company cannot come to some kind of agreement. Yeah. So how often do you see this type of thing happening? And what are the lessons for contractors that might be involved in a similar situation? It's a, it's a great question because what we've seen over the past I don't know, seven, eight years is a, is a huge increase in suspension debarment activity by the agencies. And that's predicated based upon Congress identifying and recognizing that agencies weren't doing enough in this area. And so about six, seven years ago, agencies really started ramping up their programs. And now they've leveled off, but it's at a, it's at a, a clip that was unseen before, unheard of before. Yeah, that's so that indicates if Congress says a thing like that and agencies do a thing like that, it sounds like there's no objective criteria for the number of suspensions and debarments that actually that, that do in fact happen. Right. It's kind of like proving a negative. Um, you know, agencies take whatever actions they take, but they can't say that they've done enough or too little. It's really difficult to know whether the activity is sufficient. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a very difficult situation for contractors because it's very discretionary on the part of the agency. And the standard is relatively low. So the agencies have a lot of control. There's very little leverage that companies have to say, no, we disagree, because while you're in disagreement, you're probably not getting any work. Yeah. So with respect to this particular issue of export controls, which, as you say, is a kind of a thicket of regulations that sure. are hard to interpret sometimes, should you as a contractor contact your agency contract holder 
before you do an export deal? Well, the best the best policy is really as much transparency and communication with the government as possible. And typically, you know, you try to do that with counsel um, in order to establish a record that even though maybe you don't know for certain that this is compliant, you've tried to do your diligence to find out if it is, to get the agency's input, and to document that. And that would really help alleviate the fact that you're, quote unquote, not responsible because you're doing everything you can to try to understand this kind of this thicket. Sure. So that's something everyone should follow, whether absolutely. it's export control or any other type of activity. I, I absolutely agree. And in the meantime, deliver your products on time and do what you said you would do in the contract. That's always a good idea. That's always a good idea because I've seen agencies debar people because of the, you know not delivering on time. Sure. Diz Locaria is a partner with Venable. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. We'll post a link to his analysis and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 